Guru Nation, welcome to episode 445 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, we're discussing a question I actually get asked a lot, which is, why do some sites get so many studies and other sites not get that many or maybe any at all? Why? Sometimes these sites are in the same geographic area. Sometimes they are the same size, same experience level. Why do some seem to get all the studies and others don't? We answer that question in this podcast episode. We actually filmed this on Zoom uh, while we were recording a clinical scoop episode. So we made a clinical scoop episode as well. For those that don't know, we do have a clinical scoop podcast. So just go make sure you search clinical scoop and subscribe. That's a lot of business development and clinical stuff where, where science meets business for clinical and we do a lot of business development and real-time prospecting on there. So check that out. Text me if you ever want more studies for your site and want to be one of our clients. 949-415-6256. Check out the Patreon channel, $5 a month, patreon.com slash We have a monthly mastermind as well. We keep each other in the group accountable for reaching our career and business goals by using social media and different strategies of digital marketing. So check that out. Also in the show notes, check out the CRA and CRC Academies, links in the show notes. And with all that being said, I just appreciate you very much. Really means a lot to me that you're listening. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back. We got a special episode. So we're doing, you know, I got Dr. Al Jazeera. I got Chris Sabra. I got world famous Monica Quitiva. We're doing these world clinical famous. scoop. Yeah. All you guys. Okay. No, I'm two, twice. That's right. So we're doing a clinical scoop recording. So for those of you watching on the Guru channel and listening on the podcast, because they love to listen in their cars. And you can listen in the shower. You can listen while you work. Uh, you should go to the clinical scoop. So if you're on YouTube, just type in clinical scoop. You get our channel, subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast, type clinical scoop and subscribe so you don't miss because we talk a lot about good stuff on there about business development and a lot of business development and we we analyze specific studies and then how you can go about getting that specific study uh, but first we wanted to talk for the guru nation why some sites get more studies than others because it's a very important question it's a very interesting question that a potential client of ours asked today and if you want to be a client of ours and you need help getting more studies, just text me 949-415-6256. We'll help you. But why do some sites get more studies than others? I mean, whoever wants to start first, because uh, it's true. And um, I don't know why that is. I mean, I have a lot of suspicions, but it's an interesting conversation. So what do you guys think about this? I think Chris should start. Chris, now what's wrong with the world famous Monica? I, I mean, how, do, how does one become world famous? You, you, you have, have to earn it. For the, for the you have to earn it. You have to earn it. The world famous is uh, is um, given. It it's earned. It's earned. 
Mm-hmm. You have to earn this. <laughs> Very nice. So right. who's going to go first? I mean, why well, well, do some okay. sites get more stuff? It seems like some sites get every study, no problem. And other sites, it takes so long to get them a study. We know this from our consulting services that Chris and I do. Sure. Some of our clients get a study every week. Other clients, it's hard to get them a study every three months. And we are trying to figure this out so we can help everybody out, including you guys watching and listening that are not paying anything. You can learn for free. But it's interesting. It brings up a lot of conversation and talking points. So there's a, there's a lot of variables involved, right? Yes. So I would say in terms of those that it's difficult to get that initial study for, uh, being that research naive is not a help uh, in terms of PIs. It's, it's helpful if you can demonstrate to sponsors that you have a, a research naive population, lots of patients that could be used for the study that are research naive. That's great the PI themselves being research naive is not helpful. Um, now, is that, a, is that an impossible hurdle to overcome? No, but it does make it more difficult to get that initial study. And oftentimes, once you have that initial study, you will see the floodgates open up a little more. Um, once you have that, that experience that you can put on your CV and say, hey, I've, I've been involved in research, I've been a PI, um, you know, Dan and I have experienced this with our own PIs that are research naive. And then once they get that first study, they get offered a lot more studies. Um, so uh, being research naive is not helpful. That's one variable. Um, and then your your ability to take on studies, what studies can you take on is, is a huge variable as well. If you're very limited to, uh, or it's self-limiting, or if the sponsor sees it as a limit in some way, um, uh, say you can only take on uh, oncology studies. Well, that's not a good one. Say you can only take on dermatology studies. Um, that's going to be very limiting. So I can add a lot more. I could go on forever about this topic, but I'll let somebody else uh, throw their two cents in. I think I think another factor is that some sites don't uh, keep the record of all the emails or the documentation. They probably don't get back as fast as needed, and uh, and they they lose the opportunity. Or if they are sending their the for example, if they send the initial email, the expression of interest, but then they just sit and wait and don't hmm. do anything else after. That actually is another factor. I think the most important part there is the follow-up. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Guys, I think the, the, the main thing for uh, getting studies is like the site reputation. Okay, if mm. you get a site qualification questionnaire okay this is what's important that's what you need to look at to get more study if your questionnaire is answered the right way the right way and it is right documented okay the the as uh, chris said it's uh, involve a lot of uh, variables and one of them is the pi himself what's his reputation what's his experience and how many study he did and what kind of studies he did Number two is the site. Is it, does it have the enough qualification to be a site? Does it have a storage room? Does it have bridge? Does it have, uh, Number three is the clinical coordinators. 
are they, they are qualified to do this? Are they, is the site get audited before? A lot of mistakes happen in this site or like this. All this can be included. So if the site is clean and the PI is experienced and everything, the potential of getting study is much better than the site who have a problems or have. So the, 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 the secret is be the pre-qualification study for the site. Look at it and mm. do it the right way. I think another thing is having access to the physicians. So the reason we've noticed some sites are able to get a lot more studies than others. I mean, one of the things is like, there's a little bit of luck involved also because the timing is very important as well. So maybe you are a gastroenterologist and you happen to get started in research when GI is hot. Okay, so then you're gonna get a lot of studies that year and now you're no longer really research inexperienced. So now in the future years, you're going to be considered for other studies because now you appear on the radar of these drug companies. Uh, another thing is access to the clinicians. So um, basically, the Chris and I always say it's almost on every call we do with clients. We tell them, you know, the secret to being as successful as you can be as a site owner or a network of sites or an SMO or whatever it is, is if you can say yes to every study that comes to you and you only say no because you don't want to do the study, not because you can't do it. You say no because you don't want to do it. Um, that's the secret. If you can say yes to literally every study that comes your way, now you have leverage and you can be more selective about only the studies that you want to do. Whereas if you are just very narrow in your approach, like I talked to a guy today who's a spinal surgeon. I mean, you know, he's going to be great for like a very small percentage of studies, but for the vast majority of studies, they're not interested, right? So he has to be lucky. Like there has to be a study at the right time for him to get it. And maybe you can get into pain. Maybe there's some overlap with some other indications, but it's still very narrow compared to a family practice physician or a multi-specialist or, or a site that has many physicians like Dr. Al, you would CRI. I mean, you guys have just about every specialty on board uh, as far as doctors. So that's, that's why you, where you want to be with being able to say yes to just about any study. And I don't think a lot, many sites don't have that. And that's even before all the, quality stuff you know just to get your first study is the hardest part once you get your first study if you do a good job at enrolling okay it seems like all the CROs or at least all the sponsors Chris and I you were talking about this the other day Chris it seems like as soon as you get a study for a site and they do a decent job of enrolling patients now all the sponsors seem to like share this information with each other mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they get all these studies sent their way. And Monica's probably seen this before with, you know, Monica's helping get studies for our company, the Clinical Research Circle, and uh, for a bunch of our DSCS clients, Dr. Al's getting studies as well. So what do you think about that? So I would just add that the reverse works as well, right, unfortunately. So if you do a good job on a study, it seems that the sponsors have some sort of network in which they share this information. Yeah, um, Transcelery. I think it's Transcelery program. But let's say- Related. Do, let's say there's a lot of problems with the site that it gets shared too. Mm -hmm. So um, you're gonna have problems getting studies. Uh, <laughs> I, would say, I would say competition in the area also affects how busy you will be. Um, 
if there's a research uh, company, and it does, it's not an absolute limiting factor, but it does play into this. If there's a research company on every corner, like a 7-Eleven, um, you're going to have a little more difficulty at least getting established. Um, you probably need to do a little better job recruiting, a little better job with the data, and you'll overcome and you'll be kind of at the cream of the crop in all these research companies in your area. But that takes time to accomplish this. Yeah, the big cities seem like L.A., Miami, Houston, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chicago seem to be the most saturated. Maybe Dallas a little bit. Um, Atlanta, too. Those areas are, like, probably the most saturated as far as the research sites. Um, you could probably throw all of Florida into that uh, mix. But, yeah, I mean, so if you're in one of those places I just mentioned, it's probably going to be harder for you to get studies until you start developing a reputation for yourself because it's so competitive. But if you're in like Iowa or, you know, like uh, Texarkana somewhere, you probably, you have no competition, right? So you're going to get most studies you apply for because sponsors love, what sponsors love is the research naive patient. They don't want to see the recycled patient. They want diversity and they want fresh blood. They want, yeah. they want research naive. And we have a lot of experience with that as well um, in terms of Midwest-type sites. Um, we've had one client that I'm thinking of in particular that, and I'm not going to mention them, but yeah, please uh, don't. When, they, when they first started out, they had no difficulties getting studies. Um, they had a lot of problems with the studies. Um, on I think it was three or four of them, there was just – an enormous amount of problems and uh, serious problems and they couldn't get any more studies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, the word gets out, the word gets out that you're not dependable. Yeah. You can get patients, but the data is just not even usable because of the problems and the word gets out. So yeah, uh, they were, they kind of showed both sides of those coins, right? Where they're in the Midwest had no problems getting studies right away. Lots of studies. Yeah. They're like a magnet for yep. the studies but then and no more studies would come dan and chris from your experience with the cro and uh, uh with the other companies you've been doing is there any like any website or pool or anything that can the drug companies or other cro goes to and check the the research sites it used to be one called drugdev.org, drugdev.com, drugdev.org. They got acquired by Ikevia. Um, so now it's just Ikevia's, you know, they, they have that data and they, I think they share it with sponsors or they could sell the data on sites. Uh, another one was the Transcelerate program. Uh, so if you just Google like Transcelerate program clinical research, you'll find like investigator data bank. I think that's what they were calling it, Investigator Data Bank. And that's where the big pharma share this information. Interesting. Uh, and if you're a PI, you can register yourself on those things too. Um, we register all our clients on those things like As, and you do, immediately. Yeah, and you want to do it on the individual sponsor websites as well. Many of them have something similar to the drug dev or Transcelerate. It's just at the individual level. They're not sharing the information necessarily with other sponsors. You, mm-hmm. you want your information in there. Yeah. Yeah, my question for you is, uh, Chris, 
about your point that uh, you know your reputation will uh, leak out there if you're doing good or bad job so mm -hmm. most probably it's uh, through the uh, feedback through the website or something i would think so i i can't say for certain i just you know f from the limited data i have access to it would seem that this information is shared without um and the, and the reverse works as well we have many a client that uh, there's one in particular in florida that i didn't think would succeed um, for quite a while they were one of our worst uh, clients in terms of understanding how research they're <laughs> yeah. truly one of, truly one of the busiest sites they, they've been a client with us for a while. they do quite well i think they sold their and clinic already once they started another, yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable, Dr. L. Unbelievable. If you would have met, like, if it took us, like, two years, I think what Chris is saying, and maybe three, no? Uh, we started with them. They knew nothing. They were overspending. They were hiring, like, six coordinators when they only had one study. We oh. thought they were going to go bankrupt. The next time I talked to them, they had, like, 12 studies and were selling the site to somebody, another group. Yeah, they were generating over two million a year in revenue. Yeah, and then Florida, like the one of the most, not one of the most competitive state in yep. research. Yep. Uh, so I don't know what that is. Luck, timing, maybe the fact that they say yes to everything and they kind of learn how as they go. I know a lot of new sites say no because they're scared. I th and, and, go ahead, Monica. No, and I think what Dr. Uh, Al was mentioning too, that when they answer the feasibility questionnaires, they just answer it like in a way that probably doesn't sell much the site. Mm. But actually, instead of showing a potential, it's like <laughs> straight away, no, no. So yeah, I think that's important. And then sometimes people, uh, the sites think that they that they can answer that like two weeks after or three weeks after that they don't understand the urgency of completing all these documentations as soon as, as you receive it because pretty much the whole country is competing for these studies. Right. I think researchers have to learn from realtors because if you ever look right now, I'm looking for real estate like a lot of people are because the rates are so low. If you look at these listings, okay, on realtor.com, MLS, I mean, it's like the ugliest house you ever seen. And the way they describe it is like it's a castle. So, I mean, when you're doing your feasibility survey as a clinic, you got to kind of think along those same terms. Like, you don't need to tell them you're inexperienced. I mean, they're going to eventually find out if they meet you and you don't know what you're talking about. You have to lead with your best foot forward, what you have that's positive. Maybe you have a lot of patients, research naive patients. You lead with that. You don't lead with PI has zero experience and doesn't have a coordinator yet. That's not exactly. how you get studies. And then in the notes, you can add your competitive advantage. Like, for example, I can offer diversity type of uh, patients. I have, like, uh, I don't know, my, my, my database have so many patients from all the uh, communities that I could bring uh, a lot of uh, diversity to the study. Or I don't know, or maybe that, that the staff is, uh, we have... Uh, like 10 different stuff <laughs> and everybody's bilingual. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? 
the, the competitive advantage is the feasibility is kind of selling your company in that questionnaire. Yeah, I mean, maybe every site needs to hire a realtor so that they can uh, impress the people to do their feasibility survey better. <laughs> maybe Business that's development, like Monica. Exactly. Monica's really <laughs> good at that. Because if you ever read some of these descriptions, like I've been reading these last few days, you're amazed. Like, you just reading it and you don't look at pictures, you think it's like, uh, you know, the castle at Disneyland, and then you look at the picture, you're like, what's going on? And you actually go to the house, you're like, what, what is really happening? And you're you're both addressing Monica incorrectly. It's world famous Monica. That's right. I think that's your new Monica's new YouTube channel and new Instagram. World famous Monica. And you need to be on Twitter. I don't think Monica has a Twitter, but she should be on Twitter. That's true. Uh, So that's good. So what do you think, world famous Monica? What are you saying? There you go. I think people should take uh, research a little bit more seriously and take it as a business when they start uh, doing the, the, I mean, at the beginning of, uh, of the, I mean, when you start the business, because uh, they think it's just, uh, I don't, I don't think they, they understand or some doctors don't understand uh, the urgency and the timing and, and um, and all the importance of completing all this documentation and answering the the questions, the emails, and everything in a timely manner. I think that's probably one of the things that uh, sites need to understand. I would agree with you. We have a client that uh, had a lot of problems with that, and now she's getting all kinds of studies that she's a little bit more diligent on the timing. There, again, mm. there's so many variables to this. Um, but I think Dr. Al's probably got has the key variable, has defined the key variable, and that is building your reputation. I would agree with that. Once you have an established reputation that if you come to me, I'll get you the patients that I promise I'll get you in the time I promise that I'll get them, and the data will be acceptable, at least acceptable, if not better, I think you'll have no problems getting studies. But first, you have to establish that, that relationship and, and that reputation. Yeah. Anything else, guys? This is a good episode. Well, there's many more variables. Yeah, and expanding the well, go, go with more. like the ex- expanding also the specialties, the therapeutic areas, like maybe uh, bringing more doctors uh, mm-hmm. or do some kind of partnerships or uh, just hire doctors, uh, uh, contractors for a specific study. I would say another variable is how difficult are you in terms of payment? I think that's a minor variable, but I think it's a variable. If you're always demanding top dollar and you're not producing any better than the average site, I think you're going to cut yourself out of the equation as a site. Um, what would be another variable? Um, go ahead, I, Monica. I think another one, when, because some, some sites get studies, they, they lock it, they get the study and everything, but then... Uh, like Chris was saying, they don't uh, deliver what they should be delivering, and that includes, for example, entering the data on time, uh, answering the queries on time, like understanding the whole process and doing it uh, uh, the same way. You, I mean, it's describing the agreement that you sign, right? 
part of that reputation too, um, probably the biggest factor in that reputation, which you and I have discussed a lot, Dan, is um, recruitment. I mean, that's the huge variable. Uh, it goes along with what, what I had just pointed out that you had pointed out, Dr. L. Um, being able to recruit the patients quickly and the numbers that you had promised the sponsor is very key. Uh, as a matter of fact, re, uh, producing more numbers than what you had promised is even better. So the average site is expected to enroll eight. You promised 10 and you actually produce 20. They're going to love you if you do this for every study. Um, you'll have no problems acquiring studies. But again, that's part of the reputation, right? Um, what's another variable? Got any more, Dan? I mean, there's a lot, but yeah, I think we hit on the research naive. It's obviously not helpful if you're research naive. Saying no too many times. I mean, you, you should say no when you can't enroll patients. But if you think you can even enroll one or two, you should do it, but make sure you at least do one or two. Especially if you're research naive. Especially if you read, that's right, because you don't have the luxury to say no, because you need the study to get the cash flow to get your business going, and you need to start establishing yourself in and the experience. community and, and the experience, experience for the PI. Uh, another thing is Monica said, which is, um, you know, following up with your leads. Like, it's amazing how many clients and people just in general, not just clients, are confused why they're not getting studies when they're not even checking their in inbox for the CDAs that the sponsors send you so that the, you sign it so that they can send you the synopsis and feasibility. Like, um, you know, you have to be quick. You have to move quick with these things, especially when you're new. Same thing with the feasibility. If they send you a feasibility survey, you don't wait a month to do it because you're afraid that you don't know what to put on there. You could be afraid all you want. You could be afraid for a year and then come up with the best idea and put it, the study's over. So there's no reason to be afraid. You just need to put your best foot forward. Okay, and that could mean whatever you want it to mean, but don't lie, but put your best foot forward, meaning talk about the patients that you have. Hopefully, if you don't have that much research experience, you do have patients. And it's never been, in my opinion, it's never been a better time to be research naive than now if you're mm -hmm. a PI because there are studies everywhere. There's C. difficile. Maybe we could do the clinical scoop episode on C. difficile. We've seen a lot of those lately, no? Sure. Yeah. So what about, what about being pleasant? So you do some CRA work. Um, do you like Ooh. going to you? You do too. I do, but not like you. you uh, <laughs> okay. So, if you go to a site as a CRA and you're stuck in a broom closet to do your work, do you think that's pleasant for the CRA? Do you think uh, they have any pull on whether or not this site should get future studies? What about, we've heard a lot of stories about KOLs and how difficult they can be work to work with. Key opinion leader. Key yeah. opinion leaders um, will get studies no matter what because of their name. Sure. They've already built their brand. As far but, as CRAs, it's debatable. Like if you're, I've never been put in a small space like a closet or a, a bathroom, you know, I've, that's never happened, but I know <laughs> I've heard of CRAs being put in those kind of places. That's never happened. I don't think that that would, unless it's a site selection visit, if it's a interim monitoring visit, I actually don't think that's going to jeopardize that site. Um, as long as they're enrolling patients. Now I'm assuming the CRA is not going to be in a bathroom every visit. 
um, maybe it just happened once uh, or well, waiting. Okay. But that is not part, for example, of the of the um, uh, CRA report that they kind yeah. of complain about the site and then that kind of show that the site is not they the best. Complain. They can complain. I mean, bathroom is an exaggeration, although I have heard of CRA complain that they were put in a bathroom once, but that's an exaggeration. No it's way. Not the, it's, no yeah. way. Yeah, it's not the norm, <laughs> but it's happened. Uh, usually it's going to be like, hey, can you be in the waiting room right now? We're very busy. I don't know if that really affects getting future studies. Is If the site is busy, that's what the sponsor wants is the data. So, But we've we've both heard stories in terms of PI interactions with CREs that are very negative, right? Right. PIs making CREs cry. I mean, I've heard this story from two yeah. different CREs. But usually those PIs continue to get new studies if they're enrolling. If they're a KOL too, yeah. Especially if they're a key opinion leader. So but, but I, I don't think it matters too much, actually. I, I think, for example, sometimes even if they... If they uh, principal investigator is naive and they got the first opportunity and then uh, somebody goes to the site selection visit if they if they are very pleasant as Chris oh, yeah. mentioned that helps a lot it helps a lot well if they are like not very <laughs> yeah. nice then that also uh, site selection visit matters site selection visit absolutely matters I think interim monitoring visit matters less. As long as you're producing data. Mm -hmm. That's the most well, important you know, point. Yeah. If you were CRA and you complain, well, I don't recommend the site because they made me monitor in a waiting room, but then you're the sponsor and you see the data and then enrollment and they're going to say, well, you know, the, <laughs> what That's do you what want we to pay do? you for? That's <laughs> what we pay you for. You Pretty much. Top Pretty dollar, much. you deal with this. Unless the CRA <laughs> is the decision maker, which usually is not the case, but sometimes they are. Mm -hmm. A few cases, like at the smaller CROs, they might be. So that's the things. I mean, there's a lot of variables. I think luck has a lot to do with it too. Timing, luck. You can't control what your specialty is when you first start. And if you, like OBGYN is perfect example. A few years ago, OBGYN was the hottest, like 2016, 2017. They were doing all the pediatric, uh, uh, or uh, they were doing the newborn vaccines. They were doing all kinds of infant formula, right? Now they're doing n not very much of those, probably because of COVID. Um, but they're doing things like GI, respiratory. So if you're in one of these spaces and you're just getting started now, that's luck. You know, you can control luck. But I think everybody, every site should do what they can to be able to say yes to as many studies. And that's a hard thing to do. I mean, very hard thing to do. Yeah, I would say that there's studies in every therapeutic area uh, pretty much at all times. Mm -hmm. It's just, as Dan is saying, uh, certain times are busier than others. Yeah. So. so what do you guys think about C. difficile? The, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but do you want to do that one on the clinical scoop right now? They call it C. diff. C. diff. For Let's sure. just say C. diff because I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> and by the way, my site can run all the clinical trial types. I Dr. Al can do all of them. I, I have an APIs from all the specialty. That's right. We have a connection and the base of the patient so we had dr srini on last week on the clinical scoop so for everybody on the clinical truck guru and on the podcast 
Thank you very much for watching and listening. If you're curious about C. diff, we're going to analyze some studies right now Before and do some dev. Go right now to those platforms. So if you're on the podcast, go to Clinical Scoop. If you're on YouTube, go to Clinical Scoop. Subscribe. Thank me later. Okay, Chris. Before we do that, let's throw a shout out to Dr. Al. I think he was just telling us before we started recording. So we're the CRO on a study that Dr. Al is uh, doing. That's right. And, and he <laughs> enrolled the 15th patient today. And this is a difficult study to enroll in. Wow. And, and uh, how long have you been doing this study, Dr. Al? About a year? Far. It's been about a year, right? Less than a year. I think. Less than a year. Okay. Wow, yeah. less? So yeah, started like you suppose like I started in uh, hmm. like November I thought yeah like, it like just November seems longer it seems a lot longer <laughs> so almost a year um, okay and you know there was study had been going on for two years prior to that and they had uh, like six patients so that's right uh, excellent job Dr Al so Dr Al can Thank definitely you. enroll in his studies and this is a difficult study so and we need what to a tell the sponsor out. we need to tell the sponsor there's been another three. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, you do that, Chris, because that that guy needs to uh, respond ASAP. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, another topic. But if you're curious <laughs> about those things, if you're curious about little <laughs> gossips like this, okay, <laughs> we just go to the clinical scoop and you hear all of it. <laughs> not on the Guru. We don't gossip on Guru, but on Scoop we gossip. So go there. All right. All right. Thank you, guys, and. Go to the scoop. Thank you, guys. So, hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.